look, we're back and it's a week later. <laughs> we did it. I feel very accomplished. Me too. Congrats on your piece in the nation. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It, uh, I got really good news from uh, my editor that it was leading the site for like a day and a half, which is just Great. amazing. Yeah. So, awesome. Yeah. And, got a, and actually, I got a lot of random emails from people around the country, Some actually some professors from France and stuff, and it was cool. Very cool. Did you tell them to listen to our podcast? You know, I <laughs> when I put my bio in, I put our podcast in there, and then they took it out when they I saw that. It. I was like, what the hell? I don't man? want competition, man. I know. I guess not. I guess they have their own podcasts. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, I thought maybe, you know, now we're in July and our wonderful Supreme Court has issued all its rulings for the past year. And I thought maybe we'd do a sort of roundup of some of the, the greatest hits for this year. Okay. This is No Politics at the Dinner Table. I'm Tony Biancasino. And I'm Amit Prakash. This week, we're going to be talking about SCOTUS, that, you know, August institution in D.C. where these people in robes who stay in their jobs for the rest of their lives get to decide how we live our lives. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. Okay, so um, we already did uh, an episode dedicated to the Dobbs v. Uh, Jackson Women's Health. Just to repeat, once again, an awful, awful decision that um, flies in the face of basically all sorts of norms in um, the Supreme Court, notably... Uh, what's called starry decisis, which is let, let precedent stand, right? Um, and so this overturned not only Roe, but that the cases that, you know, Casey versus Planned Parenthood, which came after Roe and reaffirmed Roe, it just threw that all out just because, you know, there's a new political majority on the court. So that's one. Once again, we have the example that the Supreme Court is not a neutral institution based on... Um, let's call it good faith differences in jurisprudence, but an utterly political organization that is forcing the will of a minority um, on the entire population. Because when you look at the polls, even Republicans, you know, if you phrase it in this way, that should, it, should abortion be criminalized? They say no. Um, but this is a sort of, you know, a fringe minority view that has now occupied, you know, one of the central pillars of our government. Okay, so that's Dobbs. The, the other ones I thought we'd talk about uh, would be um, the affirmative action case, students uh, for fair emissions v. Harvard. Um, and then um, very quickly, the case about um, student debt. That was uh, also ruled upon Biden v. Nebraska. And then the last one is, you know, just like mind-numbingly bad, um, which is the one on basically the right to discriminate against, um, you know, queer people. Business owners, yeah. Yeah, so 303 Creative versus Alenis is the name of that case. So let's start with... Um, Affirmative action. First of all, what are your views on, and what do you know about affirmative action? And what are your views on it? Um, I mean, what I know of affirmative action is it's kind of a policy put in place to even the playing field a little bit, taking into consideration where people are from, um, 
um, sort of, uh, what do you call it? Uh, act, things they have access to and taking into account to try to have more diversity uh, within employment and universities. Okay. So the second part is legal or was legal until basically yesterday. And yep. the first part was challenged right away. So right. quick, you know, nutshell history of affirmative action is that this is some, this is an initiative that came with the Kennedy administration and was advanced further by LBJ um, in his administration, which was precisely that, which was some sort of um, element of um, trying to right the wrongs of the past by creating um, places for people who had been systematically denied based on their identity before. Generational. Right. Yeah, yeah, I mean, generational, multiple, yeah. multiple, yeah. hundreds of years of this, right? Um, so that was the initial point. And immediately in 1978, there was a case um, that was brought in uh, from a guy who was applying to a, a, a Cal um, system medical college that challenged it. It was called the Baki case. Um, and, and basically what the Baki case said was, okay, you can't do quotas, right? So before it was like, okay, we're going to like say 10%, 15% are reserved slots for uh, say black people or other minorities who have been systematically discriminated against, we're going to have like sort of, let's call it positive discrimination. Um, and the Baki case said, no, you can't do that. You can, you can think about race, you can take it as a factor, um, but you can't have, um, you know, quotas. And then you move later on to um, a famous case uh, at the University of Michigan Law School, which is uh, uh, Grutter v. Bollinger. Um, and in that case, I think that was 2003 and, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor wrote the, the opinion on that. And she basically said, uh, definitely, you know, no quotas, um, definitely no kind of secret quotas, right. That you say you're taking race into account, but you know, really you have a quota you're trying to fill. You just don't put it in writing. So none of that. Um, and also that affirmative action the reason it is a sort of, um, you know, it's in the government interest, right? It's a public interest and the government interest to sort of advance it, uh, is that diversity is good for education, right? And so a sort of a diverse classroom is a better classroom than a sort of, you know, monochromatic one. Um, okay, fine. And she also said that affirmative action should probably be sunsetted in 25 years. Right. That in around 25 years, you know, this little quarter century that, you know, we don't need to do that because, you know, apparently racism will be kind of like, you know, waning by then. Um, fast forward to now, we've got this uh, student for fair emissions versus Harvard, which has this like, I think, really interesting case because they're making the argument. And this is this guy, Edward Bloom, who's like this conservative legal crusader who's been on this for a long time it's his life work yeah you remember becky with the bad grades right that was him too yeah. right yeah. you know so so um this is you know he's he's and this is a big win for him um and so effectively what this is arguing is that because asian students who have excellent scores um they are systematically discriminated against by virtue of affirmative action being part of the Harvard, um, you know, admissions process, right? And and there's a sort of negative discrimination against them that they take a sort of um, uh, such a high hit 
because they are, you know, high achievers and blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and this is kind of like a, an amazing, um, strategy, which is to pit one minority group against another minority group, right? And just to say that, okay, we're, you know, uh, rather than see like this long history of, as we've talked about on this podcast, a lot of discrimination against Asian people in this country, um, and also anti-black discrimination, let's pit them together, right? Against one another. Um, and you get the outcome uh, that conservatives have always wanted, right? Which is race neutrality, right? Uh, in a and which which sounds nice, but in a country with a long history of uh, race partiality, to say the least, um, doesn't I, I it doesn't add up, right? Um, one thing that is going to be interesting, I think, and um, there's this guy uh, Ellie Mistal, who I've been reading more and more uh, lately. He's this legal analyst. Um, he writes for the nation, but he also, he writes for like a million different things. And, um, and he was saying basically that, okay, in order to comply with, um, this ruling, the various, you know, colleges and universities are actually going to have to admit less black students to show that they are complying. Um, because the conservative legal organizations have already said, you know, if your numbers don't go down, um, we're coming after you, right? And so, so it's automatically going to be, you know, like they're they're getting, it, you know, the functional thing is is that they want more less black people in, in college, right? Um, so, uh, what do you think about, you know, the evolution of this and this this mm -hmm. latest, you know, decision? I'm kind of torn. Um, on one hand. I obviously think diversity at college, specifically with African-Americans, is a super important policy. But on the other hand, it does that's not what it's supposed to be, or at least that's not what it says, right? It's, it's to help minorities. It's to make the white people not the majority at college, or at least just introduce other, um, other uh, um, races. Mm -hmm. So seeing someone that maybe is a first generation Mexican or, you know, uh, uh, people who are from an Asian country that are, you know, their parents are running or working their ass off and they're here. I completely sympathize with their stance, which is for whatever reason, my kid's crushing it and they're not getting accepted when other minorities from a different race with lesser um, achievements are getting put in. So it's not my battle. I mean, obviously it's not going to affect me, but like, I think that's a super valid issue. Um, what I think they should do is probably scrap the whole thing and refigure it out. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to get into like reparations, but the idea of cash reparations, I don't think is going to ever happen in this country. So it's not something I really care to discuss, but why couldn't it be something where it's like specifically to African-Americans and colleges to repay for the wounds of slavery? And I think the language is probably too vague, which is why it's being challenged. So, you know, my stance is that like if we're if we're if we're literally talking about like systematic racism against black people in the United States, then it should be something about that, um, because as we grow and our population grows and, you know, uh, um, um, 
Latinos population grows, like it's a problem. And so, you know, I kind of, I'm very torn. I'm in the middle of it. Um, I, I see both sides of it. And I, and I also do think like with zero <laughs> evidence of this, but just like, you know, uh, common sense is like at some point is, is there evidence that it does hold a race back by always having a thing where we're talking about, uh, you know, we have to, I don't know how to actually put, do you know what I'm saying? Like, is there evidence that if, if we constantly put in a minority, a group of minorities heads that they have to get extra stuff because of something, does that hold them back? And I'm not sure, but that is, I've seen some arguments from black scholars that, and they're probably right wing and, you know, they have an agenda, but I, I'm, I'm, I don't know enough about it, but I, 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 I will say I, I totally think it's a valid argument for other races that are not the dominant races country to have a problem with their children, not being able to participate in the benefits of affirmative action. Yeah. So I, I hundred percent agree with you. Um, the, or again, that, that's why I wanted to sort of talk just very briefly in the, at the top of this about the origin story of affirmative action is that it was a form of reparations, right? It was sure. saying that, okay, this was a horrific history that your people have suffered. Here's a tiny band-aid to try to make up for stealing your children and selling them. Right. Um, you know, like that's, that's, that was the, literally the impulse behind it and the intention. And within 10 years, that was considered unconstitutional, right? It, that already it was being challenged by Baki in 78. Mm -hmm. And then by 2003, so this is a very short history that we've had affirmative action. Um, It was said that actually repair for the past cannot be, it's illegal effectively for that to be the rationale for affirmative action. Mm. It can only be for diversity purposes in the classroom, which ends up being like you have a few token people and white kids get a better education, right? Um, And so the, there's a whole, of course, diversity industry now um, that sort of promotes this and, you know, I've got lots of thoughts on that. I'll keep them to myself for now. Um, (laughs) But um, that, you know, that's what's kind of a, grown up around it. And the idea is that, okay, well, let's just have this quote unquote diversity. And that can mean all sorts of things. You can have like really wealthy black kids, right? right? But they're black. So, you know, that fits, you know, the criteria, right? Like that, that's, that's, that's happening. Um, and, 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 and it also then comports with, okay, we're going to have this like really like, you know, rainbow coalition classroom. Uh, having nothing to do with repairing the past, right? Like it's, it's, that's gone, right? That's totally gone. Um, What you were talking about the second part about, you know, like the psychological effect of having some sort of, um, I wouldn't call it advantage, but. um, uh, Yeah, I'm not phrasing it right, but you know what I'm saying. I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. And, and this is, you know, you know, you're talking about the black scholars like John McWhorter is a major one who argues uh, against this. Um, and and he's kind of nuanced about it. He says at one point, maybe it was is useful, but not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, David from uh, George Bush's speechwriter um, right. phrased this as the soft bigotry of low expectations. Right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you know Bush said that way back in the day. Um, and so, yes, there 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 is that argument. But I think I still think, you know, the one thing that 
um, this hasn't fully addressed is is like the elephant in the room, which is class, right? Like which is right. the, which is the thing that nobody in America wants to talk about. One hundred percent. Everybody is just middle class. You know, just like rich people are upper middle class, and then poor people are lower middle class. You know, and and everybody's just kind of middle class. Um, and because if you properly do, um, say affirmative action by virtue of class, by zip code or something like that, you will get, you will control for race by doing that, right? Like, so you can, you, you that's, that's an easy workaround. And I'm hoping, um, that, so essentially low, low, low income families, regardless yeah. of yeah and and would would get yeah and look and this is another thing i mean this is a whole it's a much larger question is to what extent a very expensive college education um will springboard you into a comfortable (laughs) middle class these days right which will bring us to our next thing which is about student debt um but you know like um you know like that's a that's a whole other question um, about the, the nature of the financing of the American educational system mm-hmm. um, and whether it is a pathway to um, the middle class. It surely was um, in the 50s and 60s, but guess what? Wh- guess why? Because the government was paid the entire bill. Yeah. Right. You know, like you state schools were mostly free. You paid for your books. Right. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. Right. So, yes, if you have this education and then you can sort of uh, operationalize it in your in, in your work life when that education has been paid for, or you can pay for it by a summer job or something like that, which is what many people did. Um, that's, that's a fantasy now. Right. So, yeah, I mean, it's an effect of capitalism, right? This is, we wouldn't be talking about affirmative action in college if we had a different system where anybody could go to college. Well, I would say that maybe in Harvard or one of those places, but at that point, I don't care as much if, if education's accessible and you can go even with no little to no money, I don't really care about Harvard and I don't care about you going there. Yeah. So yeah, that that's I, kind of what we're, what we really should be talking about. Absolutely. I mean, the, the, you know, again, like the radical question is like, why is there Harvard? Right. Like, why is there like this one place that's so great? Because why aren't a lot yeah. of places? So, you know, like when, why aren't they accessible? Every, like that's, that's the big, like <laughs> if anything, dismantle Harvard. Um, but, but um, I think, it was the case that America was a ca- very much a capitalist country in the 50s and 60s, right? Sure. It's just that the go- the capitalist government at the time believed, and maybe the Col- and, and the Cold War certainly was a spur to this, that you needed an educated population in order to win, right? That in order for your society to outcompete the Soviets, right? So you you dump a lot of money and in state schools and you get this burgeoning system of, you know, and the California system, which is like the envy of the world at that time, you get to go Cal Berkeley for free. Yeah. Right. Um, the capitalism element comes in with all of the laws that start gutting state funding um, towards education. And it's a sort of anti-tax uh, movement. Um, and that's why, you know, like we were both from Jersey, like when, when I graduated high school, you could go to Rutgers for about $4,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it's more like 45, um, you know, like no other, um, let's call them goods or services have catapulted in that way, you know, become yeah. more expensive. If anything, like lots of other stuff has become less expensive. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and that's by virtue of, and I think you're right, a certain, um, austere 
like greedy capitalism <laughs> that is like, okay, we yeah. do not want to do progressive taxation. Um, and, you know, I think secretly also is like, you know, an uneducated populace is a controllable populace. A hundred percent. You know, so yeah, like we don't want to spend too much on it's this about because people might start asking questions. Yeah, the, the root of all all evil against race is really masked under this uh it, it turns into race, but it's class. It's exactly yeah, it's material. What it is, right? It's yeah. material. It's the rich not wanting the poor. Specific. I mean, definitely, definitely not minority poor, but even poor white. They want to control them. They want to, you know, be able to pass their policies to tax their buddy or to not tax their buddies, and and it's really that's what it is, right? It's like it's it's it shouldn't be that hard to solve this kind of problem, but you know, they're really good at at uh the, the nationalism and the making people really care about the wrong things oh it's God. it's really it's it's so mind-boggling and frustrating but you know it's you know, one of those reading, things learning about the holocaust in eighth grade is just you know like the worst right like that's right. the worst possible thing you could do to your child because they you know, i know feel it's bad crazy. at one moment yeah so so yeah i mean that's kind of where i think we're kind of agreeing like i i the challenge to the policy i think holds some water. I think I, I know, I mean, I have Asian friends that are angry at affirmative action, you know, like they think it's unfair. Um, and they're educated people that are like, you know, they, they used it, like they want to use it and they, and they have a, they have a case. Um, you know, Bloom, the, the, the lawyer who's like, this is mm -hmm. a life mission. You know, one of the, I read, I read the, um, interview in the New York times that, was done with him and, and i will say one thing that struck me where i found myself agreeing with him was like the legacy um the the legacy legacy emissions that get yeah. in yeah. yeah and it's like he's like why aren't they taking that on like kick those fucking people out and like yeah. that's pretty unfair and and that's a yeah. class thing right it's like yeah you're rich ass kid and we and by the way we grew up in princeton your father taught teaches at princeton like mm -hmm. all of our buddies parents taught there and this is not, I'm not talking shit about some of my friends. Some of them went to Princeton that got, you know, didn't get into UVM. And I love UVM. I didn't get into UVM. So I'm not talking shit about UVM, but UVM and Princeton are not in the same academic conversation. But that's pretty unfair. And I think that's, I thought that was the one piece of his interview where I was like, that's a problem too. And that's yeah. something Harvard needs to, and Princeton and Yale, they need to, they need to have a little come to Jesus moment that's, about that. That's and I where, get why they do it. Yeah. I get that, why they I do get, We go back to the money trail, right? It's, it's like, money. You know, absolutely. <laughs> um, look, I think, I mean, that, that is a good point. I, I don't think he's saying it in good faith because he's yet to launch. Of course not. You know, he's okay, spending, legacy things, you know, know. Tw 20 years now, basically, he's spending on uh, affirmative action on, on race, right? Without he could have, he could have done um, all this, but he's not, he's not doing that. He's going to uh, go after the workforce next. I mean, he's not done. This yeah, is going no, to I know. be picking on companies. Yeah, so, absolutely. you know, I mean, that was another thing that struck me about his interview was like, he's not, he's not hiding any secrets there. I mean, he's, he's like, we're going to monitor it and we're going to start going after affirmative action of the workforce. So yeah. that's next. And with this Supreme court, you might as well just fast track us there and just get rid of it because they're not going to yeah. hold that one up. And they're, and, and if, <laughs> if they do that, right, if they do that, yeah, they, um, 
it, it will actually be a total redefinition of conservatism because it will be such a an, an government intervention into the economy, the private economy, like a yeah. private corporation, you know, as the conservatives say, they can do what they want, you know, like, and right. it's just contracts and maybe we should even let kids work if they want to work, you know, like that, that, that's their usually, usually their view. And now if they step in and it's like, we're going to like, the government's going to step into the hiring process and get into the interview room, you know, like, like that is a huge intrusion. Um, I'm hoping um, it'll be an odd political bedfellow for me, but like um, the club for growth and the rotary clubs and all the, all basically like the, the capitalist owning class will balk at this and say, get the hell out of here. Um, this is an intrusion on, you know, private contracts. Um, but you're right. It's scary. <laughs> and, and he's got I an agenda. Tell. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you know, so speaking of colleges and all that, um, they happen to cost a lot of money these days. And they sure do. Maybe we should talk about that next. Okay, so uh, Biden v. Nebraska. Uh, unsurprisingly, Chief John Roberts uh, came down on the side um, against the Biden administration. And just, you know, for, for background, Biden, um, he, you know, he knew he couldn't go through Congress to do the debt relief because, you know, the, both the Senate and the House, you know, the Republicans were not going to do it. So he, he, he basically did it through um, one of the education department, right, and his education secretary. And this is based on um, a law from 2003 called the, the HEROES Act, the Higher Education Relief Opportunities for Students Act. And what that says uh, is that, um, and I'll quote here, um, the law gives the Secretary of Education the right to, quote, waive or modify any statutory or regulatory provision applicable to the student financial assistance programs as the secretary deems necessary in connection with a war, another military operation, or a national emergency, okay? So what this basically says is if like things go south and um, you know there's this crisis, uh, the secretary has the right to say, okay, you know, I'm gonna forgive this loan, you're out of work, whatever, or you've been drafted, you know, et cetera. Guess what? The COVID-19 pandemic countered as a national emergency. And so Biden, you know, invoked that and said, you know, 10,000 if you made, you know, this much or under and 20,000 if you made that much, whatever, right? And the Roberts court described this like um, the French Revolution. He literally says, and I'm going to quote Roberts here, the secretary's plan has, quote, modified debt relief provisions only in the same sense that the French Revolution modified the status of the French nobility. It has abolished them and supplanted them with a new regime entirely. And so what he's basically saying there is like to give students debt relief is the same as cutting off the heads of kings, right? Um, and that it's this sort of radical act and it's outside the law. And because it's a sort of major question, um, Congress has to weigh on in this and it can't be coming from um, the, uh, the, the, the education secretary at the direction of the president, even though that's exactly what the HEROES Act says. Right. So it's completely incoherent. Right. It's, and this is one of the things that we 
have learned about the conservative legal movement for all their talk about, you know, we really care about the text, right? What does the text say? What did it mean in the 18th century? You know, like, or what does it literally mean when the people who wrote it, you know, man, let's get into their heads and blah, blah, blah. Here the text literally says, if there's a national emergency, the Secretary of Education can modify all the financial assistance programs. Pretty clear cut, right? That's like a check it, check the box. Okay, you do, do what you need to do for what you feel like you need to do. But it doesn't work for the conservative like values, right? Um, so they just make it up, right? If one legal theory doesn't work, you just move to another one. They're not consistent ever. It very, they're very consistent about, you know, like let's respect precedent, except when it comes to abortion, you know, like, you know, like let's, let's do all of those things. Right. So here, you know, the, I think this is probably the clearest example of the Supreme court legislating. Like they're, they're basically saying, we understand that Congress passed this law in 2003 and we're just going to say, no, you can't follow that law and you have to follow what we say, which is not their role. Um, what do you think about this whole like debt relief thing? Do you think it's legit? Um, do you think it's a good policy? I've heard the, the counter that, oh my God, I grinded to get through college. No, no, and, no, no, you know, no, like all uh, that no, yeah, 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 yeah. You don't even need to say that. I mean, if you can bail out banks, if you can bail out the car industry, if you can bail out big business during, um, you know, a, a, a pandemic, if you can, I mean, we could keep going. There's lots of bailing out going on. Sure. This is a joke. This is nothing. This is not real money. This is not, this is not going to hit anybody's wallet, but to go back to exactly what we're talking about, where you said in the last segment, it's an old tactic to pin minorities against each other. This is pinning poor on poor middle-class on poor, right? right? You're just out of poor. Um, because this is, who are we protecting here, right? Like you automatically go to, I, I had to blah, blah, blah. I had to, good, go fuck yourself. Big deal. Guess what Guess what? people had to do 200 years ago? A lot more than you had to grind right. to go to college. Like it's, it's a really annoying thing when people talk about that. We're also experiencing the highest levels of suicide, the, uh, uh, um, an epidemic of loneliness. We have way bigger, uh, um, 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 medical problems than we've ever had. We've got uh, drug problems and you're worried about covering people's student loans, which by the way, they were screwing people over for years with the rising college costs, with the myth that you needed college to get a job, all put in people's heads. And then these loans with you know, interest on them that you can never, you never actually can get ahead because by the time you're actually out in the workforce working, you're so in debt because who the hell ever has money? I mean, until you're in your late twenties, early thirties, when you maybe start to make money where you could pay stuff back, unless you come from a family right. that can help out. So I don't know, man, when, when, when wall street got bailed out, you know, when Chrysler got bailed out, that to me is, is egregious. And then to have anybody, pushing back on this, but it, they don't look the, the powers that be do not want poor people getting educated. It's very simple. They don't want you getting ahead. They don't want you out of debt because when you're in debt and you're struggling and you're trying to put food on the table, you can be controlled because you can get, you can, you want to blame somebody else. 
Not only that, you're, a, you're not even thinking about politics, right? No, you're, you're thinking no. about making. But you're angry, right? Yeah, you're you're, you're yeah. angry. You're stressed. You're got you're anxiety. You, you, can you make rent? All that. That's what you're thinking about, and you're kind of clenched. But you're not like watching. The and if any of, of you politics. took, and by the way, anybody that has that, I grinded. Well, then give your money back that you got during COVID. Because guess what? You should grind. You should have grinded so hard that you don't need the government handout. Because I'm telling you right now, I don't know many people that gave that check back. It's the same thing. It's the government looking out for people because the wealth gap in this country is growing at a rapid pace. AI is replacing um, low entry level employees at many industries. And I'm telling you right now, it's going to be way worse for people with money. The poorer people get. This is how it works. You, you you don't want the poor class in this country getting even poorer than they are. It's not going to it's not going to be a good thing for your cities, for your homeless populations, for your drugs. People that get pushed, pushed down, they typically are the people that have to resort to something else to get by. And what does that typically turn into? Crime, <laughs> drugs, um, so it's it's so short sighted yeah. to to think. If only we, that, we can like whip that into like revolutionary consciousness. Yeah, that I know. Yeah. It, it just it annoys me. This is like uh, we're gonna see, right? We're gonna see in a year from now. Uh, I have. We're not gonna get in on this pod. Maybe the one we do on Friday or something. But I have a theory that this next election is gonna be a landslide victory for the Democrats. I, I have a theory. Oh, I right. don't think you could keep taking rights away. Uh, look, a lot of people I know went to college. It's not like when we were kids, which it, it was special. Now, like, you know, I mean, I, I never graduated, but I went five years. <laughs> I had debt that I had to pay off. But like, I don't know a whole lot of people that didn't at least attend a bit of college. Mm -hmm. At this point, it's rarer to not have done that. So like most people that went to college that I know are still paying off their loans. Sure. And they wanted that shit to get forgiven. And I, I'm just, you're fucking with people's money. You're messing with their bodies. It's, it's a lot for, for me. I, I would be shocked if we have a change in, in administration. I, I will be shocked. I mean, barring, you know, Biden, five more uh, uh, episodes of him falling down in front of people, <laughs> right, right. you know, which is a problem. Yeah, <laughs> I problem. know. I know. But um, yeah, I just, it's not, I, I don't even want to debate. I, I hate it. I hate it forgive the forgive people's loans man let let people have a break we all went through covid like people lost their jobs by the way you know these scumbag big corporations i know i'm ranting but I'm, i just have to you know wages are they're not paying people like they used to because now you're working remote you're not living in new york city you know they're all benefiting from this why do you why do people keep rooting for the people that are already in first place like don't you like the underdog story like don't you want rocky to win it's it's insane seriously seriously you're rooting for the russian guy yeah you know yeah right rocky four rocky four what was that guy's name i remember i mean the actor was dolph lundgren but what oh, was the he guy's was so name? good you know so that poor actor you can never recover i mean that, he's that i mean guy. he's that forever. i'm terrified of him forever. in real yeah. life because yeah. of that guy i think i saw him on a magazine recently and he's still like jacked still looks like he's gonna stab you <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly well i think he was just in the the, the latest creep oh was okay it's like right. his son versus right. Apollo's, oh you know, that's whatever. kind of awesome horrible. i want to see that um but anyway i don't know what i was i'm, I'm not linear but no no I'm I get, angry yeah no no it makes a lot of sense <laughs> it makes a lot of sense 
Okay, let's get a little angrier to finish it out. Um, so uh, the last case that we're going to talk about is 303 Creative versus uh, Alenis. And this is a case brought by Alabama. this woman. Uh, no, this is in Colorado. Okay. Um, and this is a case brought by this woman, Lori Smith. And this is like how insane the Supreme Court is right now, how they ruled on this. First of all, they shouldn't have taken the case because there's this thing called standing, right? And standing in Supreme Court is like you have to show that you have been materially injured, right, in some way. Some harm has happened and it hasn't been redressed and you've gone through all the other court processes and now the Supreme Court has to look at it because everybody else is like not, you know, recognizing it. Uh, but the harm has to be like real, right? Yes. Um, you know, like first year of uh, law school, like the class everybody takes is called torts, which in French means wrongs, right? And it's just like, mm -hmm. okay, what what what, are the, what wrong thing happened to you? Can you prove it, it happened? And then we go from there. This woman, she is basing her case on a fantasy. She had an idea one day that she would start a graphic design business to make wedding websites for couples who were announcing, you know, their, you know, their nuptials, their wedding announcements and whatnot, right? Um, but then she remembered that gay people exist and sometimes fall in love oh, and right. want to get married, right? And then she asked her friend Jesus what she should do. And Jesus said, you should definitely not, you know, work for gay couples because that would be against what I believe in. Right? <laughs> and this is the case that she brought to the court. This is literally, she never created the website. She never started the business. It was all in her imagination that she wanted to do this. And she thought one day, maybe a gay couple might ask her to design a website for them. And that would be a horror she could not take, right? So what she did is she went to the state of Colorado and said, hey, if I create this website, that's all in my head right now, um, could I discriminate against LGBTQ people? And Colorado said, no, because we've got this thing called the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act, and you can't do that. And then Lori Smith was like, but Jesus told me I could. Um, and so she took this to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is not supposed to take a case like this because it's all in her imagination. She never created the business. She's not suffered a material harm. None of this has happened. No gay person ever asked her, if you create this business, can I perhaps, you know, uh, employ your services? None of this ever happened. This is all future fantasy. And the court basically said, oh yeah, we'll totally take it. And then we'll also rule because you are an artist, right? You're a web designing artist. That's the first amendment and that's inviolable. And we cannot, as, as an artist, if we start policing the speech of artists and, and their speech based on religious beliefs, that would you know run far afoul of the First Amendment. So they ruled in favor of this you know, dreamer, um, Laurie Smith. And the result is, is that basically anybody now, you can call yourself an artist, right? Um, a baker, I'm a car mechanic, you know, just sure. all you got to do is say there's some art in this, right? It's not just, you mm -hmm. know, uh, um, you know, scientific or whatever. Like there's some art, there's some expression in this. Um, and just say, I'm not going to serve these people, right? Like mm -hmm. I am an 
unbelievable hamburger maker. And, you know, you should see the way I put the onions on the burger at the end. It is a piece of art. <laughs> and guess what? Black people can't come to my restaurant, right? Like, so that opens the door for all of this. Um, and it's all, ba again, it's all based on the conservative legal movement's view that the public accommodations um, elements that came with the Civil Rights Act, um, you know, were uh, hurt individual liberty. Like individuals should be allowed to say no blacks at this hotel, right? Um, and the Civil Rights Act said no. And so effectively what they're doing is that they're overturning all of that sort of legislation from the 60s and then it's a death by a thousand cuts. They already gutted mm -hmm. the Voting Rights Act. Now it's the, the elements of the Civil Rights Act. Um, Roe is overturned, you know, you know, like who knows what's next, right? Um, I would be interested to see if they overturn Loving v. Virginia, uh, which outlawed the bans on interracial marriage, because that would be like, just like the pièce de résistance for Clarence Thomas, Clarence who's Thomas married, married to a white that. woman, would then vote because he hates himself that much um, uh, to to overturn that. But I don't know. So this that, that's for me. This is the most maddening case because yeah. it's it's like I wrote something in my journal that I might want to do in the future, and the Supreme Court was like, "Yeah, I get it." Well, we have a we have a Supreme Court that there's no way to avoid the reality of the situation. It's, it's a Christian Catholic court. I mean, it, it is being governed by fantasy. Um, and unless Jesus can take the stand, <laughs> I don't understand how things that scientifically can't be proved are allowed in our legal system. And and maybe there's a loophole or something. I I, I don't know. But it's shocking to me that you're allowed to... The, the, the whole religious belief thing is always really interesting to me because... It's like saying you believe in f f sorcerers, like, w because why? W there's zero proof of this. It's all based. And I'm not, by the way, I'm sure we have people that are religious that are listening. And I'm not here to try to disprove or prove. I'm just saying it's a belief. It's not based in reality. It's something that your faith has you believe it is, is reality that we just can't prove. It's a feeling. Yeah, that's insanity that that is somehow sneakily uh, brought into Supreme Court cases. But I will say this. Uh, I think it's insane. And I agree with you. Where does it stop? It's like it's all just to beat down these fake threats of people that are different. It's all it's all part of the the war on woke and, and identity politics it's all this is and they're and they're the playing the game too but and i know we're not going to get into it but we're shitting on the supreme court a little bit which we do love to do and yep. and i don't like them um and by the way for people that you know want to call us hypocrites I'm, I'm mad at ruth bader ginsburg like i, I it's both sides I, I i'm i hate all of them i mean i i, I happen to agree political politically with some of them more than others but i don't think it's one side i think if we had a full left supreme court there'd be some wacky shit going on too sure so i'm all about balance um i'm not i'm not a hypocrite um but i was really shocked to see some of the uh voting rights stuff um 
that some of those wacko, the right wackos actually join what we would call the left to, to say that, you know, the gerrymandering is something that. Right. The Alabama case. Yeah. I thought that was like, that's what doesn't make sense. It's like, it's just, I don't know, maybe, you know, I know law is also subjective for legal scholars. Like there's no, there's no unanimous decision and people can argue both legally, but like, it's kind of a mind fuck. It's like, what is going on? Like you don't, you kind of want to hold minorities and LBGTQ people down, but then you do this other stuff. And it's like, is it just like they had a good day? They had a day where they felt good about life. I I actually, I'm I'm actually super cynical about this. I Uh, think that Roberts, um, you know, each, each one of these, and, and it's, you know, like RBG, you know, it was like, gender equality that was her thing right like so all of them have kind of like a thing that they're 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 like legally obsessed about right um which i suppose makes sense because if you're going to like dedicate yourself to the law that much that you know you better be obsessed by something Mm -hmm. and his whole thing is really about leaving corporations alone um and making america race neutral those are his two things and I think he plays, and, and he's part of the conservative legal movement, and they are playing the very long game. Two things they've hated since the ad, their advent, the New Deal, and then the Civil Rights Movement, forced gov- federal desegregation, right? So they don't like those two things, right? Um, and they b- both argue it's all about personal liberty and stuff like that. So I think Roberts, and this is, again, this is my take, cynical view, is that he, the Alabama thing was so egregious. It was such a racial gerrymander that he gets to look like, hey, I'm not a racist. You know, like I'm, I'm, you <laughs> sure. know, like this is, this is terrible. So we're going to, I'm going to vote for, and again, squeaks by 5-4. Um, and, you know, we're, we're going to reject that. But by the way, we're going to get rid of affirmative action. I know. Um, and, That's what I'm and, saying. I don't, you know, like, so we'll take the bigger win, wins that we'll have. Uh, you know, that's just like in Alabama, this small thing. This is going to affect every single higher educational institution. And as you pointed out, Edward Bloom is not st- stopping there, right? So he's like, okay, let me, let me you know, hitch my uh, uh, star to this, you know, like, uh, and, and, and we're going to go with this one. And then I, we're, we're going to do some basically damage control yeah. by voting, quote unquote, correctly um, on Alabama. I think they're that dastardly, basically. <laughs> that's that's my view. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot of faith in it. And you know, the, if you look at any polls, most Americans have no faith in this in this in this court. That being said, I'm willing to have somebody change my mind. I mean, I know it's complicated, and you know, I've had some conversations with people we know that are legal scholars who made some good points that, like, if all things considered you know, they're, they do control them. You know, they're, they're, it could be worse. <laughs> it's like, as I well, guess, but it's like, sure. I know, I know, I know, it's, yeah. but it's a silly, it's silly. Yeah. Um, I just, yeah, I don't I, like, I used to think it feels about slightly that too religious to me. Like, it feels like, why not just put a fucking crucifixion up behind them up there? I mean, uh, the cross, like, you know what I mean? Like it just, it just feels like everything's based in their religious beliefs. And that's annoying to me because it, you know, it's, they're not even hiding it at this point. Yeah, I mean, it's also based on a very particular um, interpretation of American history um, that somehow makes these agnostics, some some of them are atheist, 
And uh, most of them are just sort of, um, you know, spiritual, um, but not organized religion so much people that were the founders um, and turns them into religious zealots mm-hmm. um, and remembers them that way. And then everything that has happened since that to uphold a secular society is somehow flying in the face of the founders intentions. Right. So that's a very nice, convenient narrative for them to do do the jurisprudence they want to get the outcomes that they want. And again, it's important to remember that when they, when their jurisprudence, when their judicial theory that they say they've been trained on, and this is the way I do it when it doesn't work, they just move to something else because they don't actually care about consistency. They care about outcomes. Um, and like producing results, right? Yeah. So we're, and, and I think I, again, this like 303 creative cl- uh, case is just like, it's unbelievable. It's literally the pipe dream of some, somebody that they, that went to the Supreme court and on the basis of that, now, now you can discriminate against gay people. Damn it. God bless. <laughs> God bless. The big guy upstairs is happy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. God wanted this. God he doesn't does not, want gay websites. He doesn't like gay websites. He, he certainly didn't like gay marriage websites. My God. Oh my God. Anyway. Yeah. So anyway, okay. I feel like um, very angry now, but um, this is this is do. you know it's tis the season for this because in the end of June all these cases are decided yep. and we get usually terrible decisions. Every now and then we get some good ones, but yeah, they throw us a yeah. bone. Yeah. All right. All right. So um, next week. Next week. Uh, no Politics at the Dinner Table is produced by Kosh. Uh, beats and tunes by Jeep Beta Roy and our theme song by Alex Tepper. Please check our uh, Instagram, some um, back episodes if you're not caught up. And uh, we're, we're starting to get a little consistent now that we've got a, another election coming up. And we'll get into some of that next time. See you next week.